Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. As you turn in your Bibles or your iPad or whatever you're using, I'm going to pray for you. Father, open eyes and ears today. Encourage God the faint-hearted, Lord. Uh, cause people to see you and know you. Uh, in a better way, all because they invested the time and energy to be in this place, and we give you honor for it. And the church says, amen, amen and amen. First Samuel chapter 17. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle. Last week, we spent a little bit of time uh, talking about the, the Philistines, and, and we know that they were this uh, extremely uh, advanced, aggressive, warlike people that had immigrated from the Greek islands, and uh, they would become the enemies of Israel for the next hundred years or so. And in verse 2, it says, And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah. This valley had uh, two ridges on either side. You're going to see a shot there in a moment, and you'll see the far side there, the, the Philistines were, and then the Israelites on the other side, and uh, everybody is set for battle, but those of you that know a little bit about warfare, you know one of the most ancient rules of, of, of war is to always maintain the high ground. You always want to, again, stay in that high place, so you fight down the hill, they have to fight up the hill, and also while they're coming up the hill, you can look out and you can see everything they're doing and, and you can look down and you can even watch your back better. So you always want the high ground in, in time of, of battle. So uh, because of this, uh, you know, that th they understood that for either side to attack, it meant taking an almost suicidal climb up the enemy's ridge where there'd be a tremendous amount of casualties, even if the other army wasn't that large. Again, fighting up a hill is, is tough. So uh, they were in a military stalemate where it looked like, again, if anyone came down off that mountain, they'd both lose. Verse 3, the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side. And the Bible said that between the mountains, there was this valley, an empty space between them. And when I read that, I was like, you know what, that sounds like a lot of marriages. We, we know where we are and, and where we want to be, but, but we seem to address everything except that, that, that empty space between us. The Bible says that out of this space emerged a champion. And the Greeks, and we, we find this in, in Homer's Iliad as well, they practice something called the, the trial by battle ordeal, trial by battle ordeal. And what would happen is the two strongest soldiers from both armies would represent their army, and they would uh, fight in, uh, you know, to the death. And both armies promised to accept the winner of the battle as the will of the gods, and, and whoever side won, the other side would submit to. So uh, this was actually a, a evolution, if you will, of war, because it was a step forward, because if they participated in this, uh, it would save lives in the long run because only one of the two soldiers would die instead of thousands. And instead of dying, worst case, you'd simply be a slave or, or a servant. So here we have, and the word champion, by the way, is an important word in the Hebrew, and, and it speaks specifically of the role that Goliath and, uh, was playing here. It says, and a champion or a proxy warrior went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath. And he was from Gath. Again, when you start talking where people are from, you know this is not allegory or myth. You know this is literal. 
whose height was six cubits and a span. Now, scholars disagree today on the length of, of a span, so we're not exactly sure how tall he was, but from the most conservative and best uh, ideas about how big a span is, this guy was at least nine foot tall. And even if you say, well, maybe he was eight foot five or a nine foot ten, uh, the bottom line was he was clearly larger than everybody else. Matter of fact, you know, he's like, that, that sounds really strange for someone to be that large. But he was about a, a foot and a half larger than uh, Manuk Bowl. Uh, and and Manuk Bowl was able to get around, do his thing. He was pretty quick and, and the rest. Uh, the only difference was Goliath didn't have a smile like that. <laughs> and he was at least as big as, as, as Yao Ming and double tough looking, if you will. And uh, the Bible says he had a bronze helmet on his head. So here we have this incredible physical uh, specimen. He also had the, the greatest armaments that were available to people at that time in history. It was the beginning of the Iron Age. And the Bible goes on and said he was armed with a coat of mail, something like what knights wore in, in the Middle Ages, bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his, his shoulders. And the point here is, from a, a human point of view, Goliath was a human tank. He was totally invincible. And this is what the Israelites were dealing with. Verse 8, then he stood, this is the giant Goliath, and cried out to the armies of Israel. And he said to them, why have you come out to line up for battle? Anybody in life have a few things screaming at you too? Yeah. Saying you can't, saying you won't, saying you better not even try. I think Goliath was a little bit like Muhammad Ali when, when he fought Sonny Liston. He was like, even if you dream about defeating me, you better wake up and apologize immediately. And Goliath was like, I float like a butt. No, okay. Goliath was like, am I not a Philistine, your inveterate enemy? And you, the servants of Saul, the king of Israel, and he mocked the Israelites for, for 40 days. And he was like, if y'all are really soldiers, you know, come on out and, and, and fight. He said, choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. Now, ultimately, in this narrative, we recognize that David and Goliath is really a picture of, of, of Jesus Christ and what he would do. Just like uh, David would have to come down off that mountain and walk into the valley, Jesus came down from heaven to fight a battle on our behalf that no other man could win. And here were the terms of battle. Goliath said, if he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and and serve us. So, so we see here, everything was on the line. And, and if Jesus did not conquer the grave, we'd stay the servants of death forever. So, so there was a lot on the line. And the Philistine said, and what happened was as the days went on, he got cockier and cockier and cockier. And the only reason this happened was because the righteous didn't have the courage to answer. And the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. And he stood up. He said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. In other words, he was talking to them day in, day out. He was taunting them. And then he gets to the point, I double dog dare you. Give me a man that we may fight 
together. And what he was saying was, do you have at least one man in your army, in your whole church, in your whole community that will trust God? This was embarrassing for Israel. When King Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were also dismayed. But this is important. The Bible says that King Saul was head and shoulders above the rest, meaning he was taller. He was a big, stately-looking guy, and he was bigger than everyone else in the nation. And he was really, it would seem like this man, King Saul, if anybody, would have accepted the challenge. But, but here's the deal. Everybody that pretends to be a diamond... Or better put, everybody pretends to be a diamond until you start talking about cutting. And people will, will act like, you know, they get on the muscles in the gym, but then you run away. You hear what I'm saying? And, and, and this was, was, was kind of the deal. And we do all that worship in church, talking about, I love you, Lord, I believe you, I trust you, Lord, then go home and run from your spouse and, and run, you know, on the job and the rest. And, and, and this is what happened with Israel. It says, they were greatly dismayed and greatly afraid. So basically, everyone that followed Saul was completely freaked out. He was freaked out. It was, it was a whole deal, and, and they didn't know what to do. They were pulling out their hair, and they were worried. Skip to uh, verse 25. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who's come up? So everybody was talking about what Goliath looked like. Everybody focused on the size of the giant instead of the size of their God. So they're like, you know, have you seen this man? Have you seen this enemy who's come up? And he said, and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter and give him his father's house or his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. So we find that whoever would win this battle will receive money and, and glory, a princess bride and, and no taxes. And the Bible says here in this next verse, when David heard that, I was like, what? That's what it said. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him that, that said that. He was like, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel? David was like, would you say that again? You see, David was not like a lot of religious people. He didn't have a martyr mentality. He didn't have a victim mentality. He didn't live like he came off the bottom of somebody's shoe. David, when he fought, he fought with his reward on his mind. He wasn't thinking about all he might lose, could lose, and oh, us poor saints, we ain't never going to amount to much, and we just trying to hold on to, to Jesus come. This was not the attitude of David. But this might shock you. This also was not the attitude of Jesus. Hebrews 2 and 2, the Bible gives us insight into what was going on in the master's mind when he was on the cross. It says this, looking unto Jesus, meaning learn from him here, who is the author and finisher of our faith. If anyone knows how to finish well, believe me, it's Jesus. Who for the misery, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. What kept Jesus on the cross was a joy he had on the inside. 
and what will keep you in your moment of, of pain and difficulty is what God has already placed on the inside. What kept Jesus was not what he was going through as much as what God showed him would be on the other side. In the book of Revelation, it talks about the one who opened up the seals, which was really a, a can of uh, intense fellowship on, on all the earth. The Bible says that he was worthy to receive honor, glory, riches, and power. And he was really referring back to this event in Scripture because in that text, he calls him the son of David. So the Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he what? Endured the cross because of God's promise on the other side. Because instead of saying Michael or Saul's bride, he saw you and I as the bride of Christ. And he also knew that if he went through this, he would uh, come up from the grave never to be tempted or hurt or harm again, a resurrected man, knowing nothing would ever tax him again in life. So Jesus endured the cross because he knew on the inside what was on the other side. So never feel sorry about me when someone talks about me, when someone lies on me, when, when, when someone causes, causes me pain, causes you pain, causes you death, because I know on the other side, if you hear what I'm saying, you might hurt me in 10 minutes called life, but God has all eternity to reward me for anything you might do. The best that can happen to me can only happen for a little while, but God has eternity to reward me. And then it says, this is Jesus. We're only talking about Jesus here. He was despising the shame. So Jesus looked at the joy and he looked at the pain. And when he waited in his heart, there was no contest. And when you think about whatever God might be asking you to sacrifice in this life, no contest compared to the glory that's prepared for those who love him. It says this. He was despising. This is his attitude. This is, he, he was groaning on the cross, and he's like, I'm going to bear this because I know what's on the other side of this. Despising the shame. He has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This means after all the suffering on the cross, Jesus popped his collar and said, Mr. Devil, I got mine. And if you hang in there, you too can pop your collar saying, I made it to the other side. And all that pain, all that heart does not compare. And this is where faith comes in, does not compare to what you're taking me through right now in this moment. I don't care if you're married to the devil himself. What that person takes you through in this moment doesn't compare to the glory. If you hang on there and make it to the other side, you'll experience. 1 Samuel 17 and verse 26. For David says to the soldiers, he said, who is this? Who, who, who is you? What, what, what is What's this giant? You see, the giant in front of you is never bigger than the Christ on the inside of you. And, and this is his attitude. 
And this ought to be ours. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Now, circumcision was a seal of covenant. So the fact he was uncircumcised meant he had no covenant with God. You see, this issue is not about size. It's about covenant. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David realized it was not a size issue. It was a spiritual issue. It's not about the size of your problem. It's about the size of your faith in God in the midst of your problem. Verse 31. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for them. You see, everybody was, was waiting for a hero. Everyone was hoping that someone would eventually stand up. But here's the deal. A hero's just a person that's too afraid to run away. Someone who just stays brave 10 minutes longer than the person next to them. Then David said to Saul, said, King, calm down. Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistines. And this little 16, 17-year-old boy said, I got this. My God can deliver. And Saul said to David, look, David, you're not able to go against this Philistine and fight against him. And I tell you, in my life, when someone tells me I can't, I just heard God prophesy that I'm about to. You see, the fact that I can't is the very reason God chose me. Y'all didn't hear me. The fact you can't do it is the reason God's going to get some glory out of it. If you can do it, you'll get the glory. But since you can't fix it, God said you're the perfect person. You qualify. You're the exact individual I'm looking for. Someone that recognizes they can, I can. And because of it, we'll do exploits together. But David said to Saul, you got to learn how to answer your critics. Your servants used to keep the father's sheep. And when a lion or bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it. And I struck it. And I delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, you know, maybe it didn't die all the way and, and tried to do, I grabbed it by its beard. So it was up close and personal and struck it and killed it. And he was saying, yes, Mr. King, you're right. I do have an attitude, but most importantly, I do have a track record. You see, experience trumps a theological notion every time. See, see, you might disagree with my faith. You might have arguments. You might go to school and study all the, what would you perceive to be the weaknesses of faith. But, but, but here's the deal. I got experience. I, I've watched him with my lion. I watched him with my bear. I saw him take me through situations that I had no capacity in myself. 
I saw him fix things that I could not fix. I saw God do some things. Now, I recognize you might take issue. I recognize that you might not understand, but something I know, I know my God. I know who I am and who I serve. I know who I belong to, and I've been with him too long to turn back. Now he's been faithful all the way, and, and like I always say, if it had not been for the Lord on my side, I got a story and a testimony. I just don't have no idea. I'm not just up here preaching. I'm talking about what I know. And this was David's attitude. He said, listen, Mr. King, your servant has killed both lion and bear, stronger and more more agile than, than, than any giant. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be just like one of them. But watch his, his thinking, his rationale. Not because I'm great. See, he had uh, unmitigated gall to defy the armies of the almighty living God. He was saying, King, this battle's not about me. It's about my God. God has not lost a battle yet, and he's not going to start losing the day. His reputation's on the line. End of 37. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. And really, what else could he say? Verse 40. Then the Lord took his... I'm sorry, then he took his shepherd's staff in his hand. Now, I want you to understand how out of place he looked. This was a shepherd boy. You have soldiers, out, and he's out there with a shepherd's stick. And actually, one of the comments that we're not going to cover that Goliath made, well, you come at me with a stick? What, 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 what is this? I mean, he, he looked like a hillbilly with a, with a hat on, no, no shoes on, and, and a straw coming out of his mouth, walk, walking down Park Avenue. This is how ridiculous he looked trying to take on... Goliath. Then he took, he had a quiet self-confidence. Everyone didn't have to be cheering him. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media. 